oh, I was addicted. I was like, oh, you just buy property and rent it. Like, cause nothing went wrong. I was living with a friend. I was like, this is, this is so simple. <laughs> Why would everybody do this? You are listening to the Millionaire Talk Show with Charles Oglesby. We're gonna be millionaires. And we're interviewing proven millionaires who've built their wealth in real estate, sales, marketing, branding, and other areas by betting on themselves. And now, here's your host, Charles Oglesby. Oglesby. This is the Millionaire Talk Show. I welcome you guys to another episode of the podcast slash talk show. Uh, My name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Ty Millionaire Founder and Director of the Ty Capital Investment Club, the Ty Capital Options Community. And a host of really cool things that we have going on, helping the people. We really appreciate you guys for supporting the brand over the last year, year and a half. We're doing great things. You guys all know that the purpose of this show is to share the stories of successful African-American business owners and investors, because we believe that business and investing are the true keys to financial success and generational wealth. And we have a Instagram phenom turned TikTok and real phenom. Um... (laughs) Very creative content, very powerful message. And so I've been following for a while and it's just really cool to have gotten her on the show because I got some questions. I was like, how do you come up with all these really cool creative ideas? Like, it's I awesome. I love it. Uh, welcome to the show, Deidre McDonald. How you doing? I'm good. So my name's Deandra McDonald. Deandra. I am a real estate investor like Ta. So Ta, what, do you prefer Todd or Charles? Which one do you? Uh, Charles works, but you know, I love people it. call me whatever they call me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So Charles invests in all sorts of things all the time. Money just pouring in. He can't keep track of all the different sources of income he has, where almost all of mine stem from the, the base or the root of real estate. So I'm a real estate investor. I started kind of promoting my stuff on Instagram as I was transitioning out of teaching um, and now I discovered something called TikTok within the pandemic and been having just just a grand old time. Yeah. I love TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the question that we always ask people is, what was life like growing up for you? Ooh. So, okay. So I grew up in Harlem um, after my family got out of the military. So I'm originally from Harlem. And I would say I had a very different Harlem experience. It wasn't different for any of the people I knew. But when I like look at statistics and look back, you're like, oh, wow, you had a very unique childhood. So um, my friends and I were all in parochial schools. So they were private run by the Catholic Church. And we didn't kind of know life different from that. Um, But tuition at those schools was probably like two thousand a year. And I tell people that because it lets you know that all of our parents are like working class, middle class parents. You know, there were nurses and secretaries and court clerks who had a little extra and wanted to give their child what they thought was like the best shot academically. They also had us in school all day. Like school started at eight o'clock and you got picked up at 630. It was, that was it. So all I kind of grew up with until eighth grade was work really hard academically and then get one of these kind of like middle-class jobs where if you kept your debt low and you just kept your, you know, didn't do too much, you would have a good life. And then I went to high school and my high school was no longer under the Catholic church, no longer parochial. My high school was private and I got a scholarship to go, but the difference was 2000 for tuition K to eight to 42,000 year in tuition in private school. And I remember that was the first time I think my mom and I really had a very open conversation about, I can't give you this if you don't get help. 
I have been willing, you know, I can stretch and get us on little vacations and maybe buy you a little fancy or something for Christmas, but this is not something I can do. Yeah. And luckily I got a scholarship to go, but that was an eye opener to money that I had never seen before. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because maybe five or six of us were on scholarship, but the majority of those kids were paying 40 G's a year for ninth grade. That's crazy money. And (laughs) it is. And there's also the other thing, no payment plans, bruh. There was no like, Oh, you could pay five that it was like the the check needs to be cashed on April 30th for the following year. Mm. And Seeing the, those kind of jobs was a different world to me and realizing right. like money is moving and, and I'm, and I'm sure we were cheap to somebody else. I'm sure there's some other schools somewhere where kids are paying more than that, but that was the real eye opener to me mm. about not only are there people out here making so much more money than I can even fathom, they have time to still come to the 1230 little stupid play. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I don't have kids. 1230 beautiful play that these young <laughs> children are putting on that are clearly quality, right? But they have time to come. They can come to all the track meets and they can come to all the parent-teacher conferences that are at 1.30 in the afternoon where the working class parents I knew who I thought were like amazing couldn't, right? They can just leave their shift to come see the nativity scene that these pre-K students are putting on. And I decided, I was like, I want this. If if these are the options I have, then I definitely want the option where I'm making more money than I know what to do with and can engage with my kids in a different way than Deandra saw growing up. Um, So that was kind of the growth with money. Then I went to college and I'll just like went down here from there. (laughs) I I was going to say a lot of people say that that exposure piece is what kind of put the battery in their back to know that they can go out there and they can go get it. Is that the same for you? And what did you do um, going forward? Absolutely. Uh, The exposure definitely was so you can aim further than what you know, and that there are so many people who know information. It's not that you just haven't been taught yet from your parents. It's that they just don't know. Mm -hmm. There are some things that like, you just don't know. It's not like, Oh, you'll get it later. It's like, they, they don't know to teach you these things because they've never learned for themselves. And as a kid, you can take what your parents give, but as an adult, we got to recognize as adults, excuse me, recognizing there's more information out there that you won't get access to unless you go fight for it, unless you go ask questions and really search for the life you're looking for. And I know that exposure can go the opposite way too. Exposure for some people has made them very angry. Exposure for some people has made them very ashamed, Mm. has made them very depressed because Look at what these people have known for 20 years before I did. Look at what she chose to do with her uh, tuition, her college aid compared to what I did. Look at who she chose to marry or who he uh, chose to have kids with. And now I'm in this spot where it could be different, but that was the battery in my back end. But it's not still, at least for me, it wasn't a straight line because I got to college and immediately forgot all that. It was just like, get a degree, (laughs) get a degree take out a few loans to get through. And I tell my husband all the time, if I did not graduate with debt, I would not have become an investor. Interesting. At all. Because it would have been, life would have been too easy. Mm. It would have just been like me making 40 or $50,000 a year and being chill. Was I ever going to be able to have that brownstone on Park Avenue in New York City? No. But as a teacher making 50,000 a year, if I had no debt other than like my mortgage, I probably would have just chilled and been like, why can't more people be like me? It's so great. 
but it was the struggle. It really was. It was graduating with student loan debt, car debt, credit cards in a field income. that in a field that I needed at least a master's to be consistent. So I graduated with Korean chemistry and you need at least a master's to be taken seriously. And I struggled. And that's when I was like, maybe I need to invest because this is not working. This, this hustle and I'm hustling backwards. I, I can't, far, this can't be 40 years of this. How far into your career did you have that revelation? Like how many Ooh, years? I graduated May 15th. I will say May 30th. I was like, this is, this is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like this at all. And as you guys can imagine, some people, so I graduated May, 2013, some people January, 2013 already had job offers, right? Already knew where they were going when they graduated. So I'm looking around like, Oh, that's going to be me in a few months. You guys just wait. I'm a, and I'm sending out resumes and trying to get stuff. And I didn't get any responses. And really? so I graduated without a job in my field and I was lifeguarding and swim instructing and bartending and being a vet assistant and uh, being an administrative assistant, just anything I could do to keep income coming in. And that was before the student loan payments were due. That wow. was May. And I really, when that first student loan payment hit in November, so six months after I graduated, I really said to myself, this can't be the same 40 years. This can't be what I'm supposed to do until I retire, let alone babies and marriage. I can barely keep me and my dog in this two bedroom. Yeah. Not on this. And so, I used to brag because my, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, so I was going to say, how did you land on real estate then? Yeah. So I read, I, as a kid, my, one of my family friends would bring cash flow, the Robert Kiyosaki game and loved it. It's like Monopoly on steroids. If you haven't played it, there's a kid's version. I suggest going for the original hard version because it's so great. And she got me rich dad, poor dad when I graduated college mm. and I read it and I kind of was like, yeah, I mean, whatever. And then when I was really with it, like down on myself, read it again and felt that that was the only thing I could do was real estate. I didn't, I couldn't go back to school because I'm not a great student. Cause I'm like, this is stupid. Why am I learning this? I am not very obedient. So I knew I couldn't go back. My skill set wasn't going to get me more money. So I figured housing was the best way to kind of just give me some breathing room. Like yeah. I just wanted an extra two or $300. And I thought housing can do that for me. And so what was your first deal or was it a deal? Did you house hack it? What did that look like? I did. I had to house hack. Oh yeah. When my first job, I was making 28,000 a year. There was, there was no way to do any, I know. So if you guys aren't watching the YouTube, Charles's eyes just got so big. He was like, <laughs> you mean my yesterday earnings? That was what you made for the whole <laughs> for the year. But yeah, um, I house hacked. It was a two bedroom townhouse. I bought it for $85,000. It's the mortgage was 530 and I was able to rent the second bedroom for $600 a month. So uh, I went from living, paying 750 for one bedroom to living for free with one purchase. And like I said, I only needed like $200 a month and was able to now get six or get seven back because I wasn't paying for housing anymore. And I also leveled up my job to go from 28 to 48 because I became a teacher that year. But it was a great deal for me then. It's still a great deal. I still have the property now, still does great. But just that one purchase, if I would have just stayed in that one house, that would have solved all of my issues. Mm -hmm. Just that one purchase, that mm -hmm. would have been great. And I would have gotten a raise when I turned 53 because the mortgage would have been finished. One purchase. Literally, if I was still in that one house with a roommate, that 700 I got is all my debts and my savings right there yeah. with my the teacher salary. The thing about it, which which is interesting, 
There's a lot of people who are making $30,000, $40,000, but let's say they're living in like a hot, they're working in a hot spot. And so their mindset is like, oh, well, I can't afford to live here. So I'll just rent. But I want to say a part of your story was you actually had to move where it was more affordable. And that's where you bought. Yeah, because I'm from New York, guys. I'm from the now Harlem wasn't a sexy 20 years ago, but Harlem's Mm -hmm. pretty sexy now. And I when I was 22, you know, when I graduated, I had to make peace at that moment that I couldn't afford to live where my parents lived, at least not yet. And that Mm. I do want to say that sucked. It really did. And my parents weren't together, but they also didn't have the space for me separately to come live with them either. So I really had to say to myself, you cannot afford to live in the neighborhood you grew up in. Period. I think that there, there's nothing else that I can I can't say it to make it better than that. Right. But when they moved there, it probably wasn't as expensive Correct. as it was now. And Correct. so I think a lot of people struggle with that, too, because that's their mindset is I want to live where my parents live. This is all I know. I want to stay where my roots are. I want to stay close to my parents, but they're probably going to have to move so that they can position themselves to do what you did. How far away did you move from your hometown? So I'm in Virginia. So I'm seven hours south of where I was. Granted, it's where I went to college and I'm in that area still, Mm -hmm. but this is where I live. And this might be something, hey, as parents, right? Maybe you snatch up another property in that neighborhood, keep it as a rental for now so that maybe you can gift it to your grandkids. Because the other piece is the only reason my parents are still in Harlem is because they bought. Because if they 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 moved there when it wasn't a hot spot, because my grandmother bought there in the 60s, right? They moved there when it wasn't a hot spot. But if they hadn't bought, they also couldn't live there either. We'd all be looking at each other in Virginia like, hey, <laughs> what's up? Because rent has also skyrocketed. And the only reason their income hasn't their, um, sorry, their housing hasn't gone up is because they locked it in. Now their maintenance has gone up for their condos. But I couldn't imagine people paying maintenance and today's prices or what they pay for rent. Yeah. Um, but I had to leave and go somewhere else. And I had one client who, well, one potential person who was asking me about, she's like, like, I work in fast food. I don't make very much per hour. And I was like, the issue is that same uh, income in Danville or Roanoke, Virginia, the same McDonald's, the same Subway, you could buy a house. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying you need to make more. I'm just really saying you might have to change. Oh, you work for UPS in New York? That same income in Lynchburg, in Martinsville will get you a property and maybe mm-hmm. a duplex and maybe a quad. But you got to leave. I like that. You got to leave the hot spots. Like it just, yeah. it, they're hot for a reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if your income can't keep up, then you got to go somewhere else. Right. And I feel like to a certain extent, the old hot spots don't necessarily mean that there can't be new hot spots. Mm-hmm. And so as we're moving to different parts of town, like my parents, they live in a, in a part of California called uh, the Inland Empire, which is north of Lo- north of San Diego and east of Los Angeles. But for the longest time, you either were in, in San Diego or you're in LA. And now the Temecula area is so popping, you can't even afford to live there. But when they moved there 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't the case. People would say, why are you moving all the way out there? Ain't nothing out there. Now there's everything out there. Yeah. And the property and, values to match. Because uh, what we're also seeing is what makes a hotspot. Like we're seeing it now. We're also, we have social media. We also have our, we are making our own analyses now. We're not waiting for the newspaper to tell us or for it to come on the uh, channel nine news. We're saying a hotspot is created. It is nothing is inherently desired by all. It is created over time. The reason I was able to buy a townhouse for $85,000 is because no one wanted to live there. It wasn't like all of a sudden, uh, 
I happened to find this one little place on Park Avenue that snuck under the radar is because nobody was interested. Mm -hmm. Now people are interested. And luckily I bought because the property down the street, I bought this property six years ago. The property down the street just sold for 210, the same house because people want to live here now. And so I, and I was on uh, right before we got on today, I was on with my membership group and telling them I can't afford to compete in the neighborhood I started in, Mm. even in Charlottesville, even where I live now, I can't afford to buy here anymore. At least decent rentals the way I bought before. And that's within six years. And now you're looking at something over 20, right? Like you got to go to, like you make the hotspot, you make it interesting. That's what makes it affordable for us. And over time, we're reaping the benefits, but none of us are buying rentals in these big, well, I don't want to say none of us. Some of you guys have money that I don't have access to, but I, <laughs> I'm not buying in big interest neighborhoods because I can't afford it. Yeah. But I promise you, my stuff will be in big interest neighborhoods in 10 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So first property, you ended up getting that extra 700 bucks a month. What were you doing next? What was the next uh, step for you? Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working the job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Oh, I was addicted. I was like, oh, you just buy property and rent it. Like, because nothing went wrong. I was living with a friend. I was like, this is, this is so simple. (laughs) Why would everybody do this? And I was with my now husband at that point and kind of convinced him, like, maybe we should buy a property, right? Because he saw what I was doing and he was, he was on the track that I told you I would have been if I didn't have debt. He was like, I'm making money as a teacher. I'm living. Maybe I'll be a principal at some point. He was just true middle-class, blue-collar, like work your job or white-collar, I guess, whatever. Work your job, pay your bills, live. You don't need to invest. You have your 401k and your retirement pension. That's it. But he said, okay, dope. We can buy a house too and use the first one then as a rental. And we searched and searched and searched. And then the townhouse next to mine came up for sale. Or I had been kind of like pressuring. I've been working those out-of-state owners for a while. Being like, oh, the tenants are so bad. You got You should probably just sell it. I I don't know. Sell sell to me? Mm -hmm. And we (laughs) wound up buying that house together. So we bought the the townhouse next to my original one. Um, We put it just under his name, but we split all the bills and we moved in together. And then we got engaged (laughs) later on. And when we got engaged, we had the first property making money. And then we had this house. We had three bedroom, two baths. And we kind of looked at each other and said, do you want to pay for this wedding? And he said, no. And he asked me the same. And I said, no. So we got a roommate, which again, we talked earlier about number one, moving somewhere else. Number two, another non-sexy option for a lot of people is having a roommate. Mm, mm. But that roommate is what allowed for us to pay for our wedding in cash without any gifts. So every gift we then got went to our pockets, yeah. went to our honeymoon, went to us building up our nest egg for our future because we had a roommate for one year. It wasn't permanent. It was forever. We haven't had a roommate since, but we had a roommate for one year who paid for our wedding. Um, and then yes. we were both addicted. So uh, the first year. property... What kind of loan was that? Was that an FHA loan or was that like some special kind of loan? Lucky enough, loan. it was a conventional. And I didn't even know the difference. So again, this is more information you guys have now. I just, she said the conventional was cheaper. And I was like, okay, so 3% down was that first property. Second property, conventional was as well. Was a Virginia house loan, housing, the HDA loan mm-hmm. um, that my husband 
qualify for because again it was the cheapest option at that point so that's just what the our loan officer gave us so why did you purchase it under his name only was it a debt to income thing or what was it no it was the one year so i had had my property for a year at that point yeah so a year and a half but i wanted i wanted to buy again and i i tell people this game about like if you know how to play space right so hopefully a lot of you guys know how to play space when you get dealt a hand, there is no, you don't have one option to play first. You get to pick different things and those different strategies will lead you certain ways. But each card does have a time limit. We're not going to hold the ace of diamonds to round nine, right? So there are better ones to pick. When we looked at our hand, it was like we could buy a house together. But if we play that card, we lose the opportunity to buy homes separately and qualify separate from each other. Mm. And we lose the one-year timer because they'll be looking at both of us at the same time. So if we choose to play his card of buying a house, I, because we're still not married yet, could buy another house in six months and still be in the one-year time frame. Like our two time frames are not interacting with each other because we're not married yet. But once we're married and we mm. buy together, it's one. So by looking at the hand, it said, yes, we can both qualify together. Or if he buys it, if I move into his house with him and let my first house become a true rental, I now qualify with true rent when I go to get my next property. And I can I was able to then qualify for my duplex because my first property was rented with background and on my taxes. But that's because we looked at what cards we had to play and made the best call. Is it the I made the best call we knew how? Somebody else might have made a different call and that's okay. But that's why we made that decision or I made that decision. So you say the one year, what does that mean? Yeah. So for house hacking, you have to, you're supposed to live in the property, your primary residence for one, for 365 days for one year, or at least have full belief that it is possible. Some people, for instance, got called back to work six months into their loans because they went back home or they left their big cities and came back. If you move out for six months, that's okay. Cause there was a reasonable expectation for you to live there. When I say house hacking, some people think, oh, I'll get that 3% down, but I'll never live there with never any intention to live there. You didn't change your utilities. You didn't change your driver's license. And that can be an issue. So the one year timeline was because I bought, had to stay there for a year. And if I would have mm. bought with him, we couldn't have bought till we got married. Yeah. But instead, he bought a year before we got married. I bought six months before we got married. We then bought another year before we got married. We would just keep flip-flopping because we weren't claiming taxes together yet. How much did you pay for the home that was right next door to the home that you already owned? 140. Oh. So it was a lot more, but my home was a two-bedroom, one-bath. Mm -hmm. And his home was a three-bedroom, two-bath. That they had fenced in, built a deck, shed, made that. They had done a lot of work to it. But the other piece I tell people is it was worth it to us. It might not have been worth it to everybody, but now our income property is next door. Yeah. So when I'm mowing the lawn, I mow theirs too. Mm -hmm. When I'm watering and putting out stuff, I'm doing theirs too. The maintenance is so easy that it was worth us paying extra compared to like somebody else who didn't have that same value. So California, people make 50K, homes cost 300K, 400K. Yeah. What do you do when you live in a in an area where you make 50K, but your mortgage is 700 bucks? Wait, do you mean like for me, the way I was living or? Well, yeah, them? it's like, do you just you chunk out your student loans? Like, what does that lifestyle look like? Mm, so we were especially to our incomes. second property. Yeah. So our second property, we were making 100,000 between the two of us, between two teachers. And our housing was like 850. And that was before our roommate was paying. And for us, it became paying off our cars. 
That was the big income. We did not touch our touch our student loans. There was no hope in that moment that those student loans could pay themselves off. But it was pay off the debts we can, so we didn't have credit card debt. Pay off our cars mm-hmm. and stack money. Yeah. Which is kind of like that's all we focused on. We're just making sure we had enough of a nest egg because we did have properties and things can go wrong, and you need to have mm-hmm. accessible cash in case something does happen. But that was it. There wasn't anything past because I, to be honest, I hadn't been exposed to much else. I didn't have social media like at that point. I had Facebook, but I wasn't looking at it to learn anything. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was it. And the next property I won, it cost me was going to cost me twenty thousand out of pocket. So in my mind, I'm like buckling in for the next four years of saving and one day we'll get there. Mm-hmm. But then exposure helped speed up that process. So, so we're going to get there. But I, I want to talk about the roommate thing because a lot of people, they they don't see, well, they, they struggle with that piece. They struggle with, hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to buy this house and, and put a roommate in there. How did you find the right roommate? Especially yeah, for a couple. I, yes. I tell all of my clients, when they are looking for tenants, regardless of a tenant, I want you to really dream up the ideal tenant, really. And I understand because also when you live with your tenants, the, the, the laws of who you can accept and not accept are different than when you have like a business, right? So we could say yes to whoever we want to say yes to. We could say no if you had kids. We could say no if you made me uncomfortable, whatever. But it was really dreaming up who is the ideal tenant because you want to advertise to that type of person. So our ideal tenant was a grad student. Our ideal tenant, we are a mile and a half from the university. We want someone who is quiet. We want someone who doesn't have animals. We want someone who's just here to put their head down, who's not going to be cooking and leaving dishes all over the place. That's what we wanted. So that's what we advertised to. Mm -hmm. We advertised where grad students were looking. We put in the thing like perfect for a grad student. We tried to make sure they could pay through Venmo or Cash App or whatever was uh, most convenient for them. But we had a real conversation of what we wanted. We knew we didn't like want to live with other people's animals or a couple or a much older adult. We wanted someone who was in school the same way we were, had similar hours and was quiet. <laughs> yeah. I hear that that's the hack is students. Uh, my mom has a friend. She owns two properties in San Diego and she moved up north to Portland. But every time okay. she goes somewhere, she house hacks with a student. And mm. so that, that makes a lot of sense because a lot of people, they're afraid of putting just some random stranger. You don't know what this person's about is in your house. You don't have to do that. You can actually pick who you want to be your roommate. I think that's Absolutely. helpful. There's background checks and there's also having month to month leases. You don't have to sign a year lease straight up. You I make sure your stuff lady. is secured. That's right. You know, just someone upstairs watching her soaps, just living life. Mm-hmm. But Month to month leases are a thing. See if it works out. And if it doesn't, then give them notice and they can be gone in two months yeah. or three months. Um, but and yeah, I think having a real conversation about what you want will kind of clear a lot of that stuff up. Would you even consider that person a roommate or are they kind of a tenant? Because I think people have to recondition their mind as well. Mm, I So they are a tenant. Um, yeah. The only like I will say roommate kind of ask was because they were friends. So there was a, there was a different relationship mm-hmm. that we had. With the tenant I had, we were split level. So he had upstairs, we had downstairs and we just didn't interact with each other. And I tell people when, uh, for my first property, I was considering getting two roommates because there was a third room that could be made to a bedroom and people worry about, oh, what about the bathroom? What about the kitchen? And I promise you, and with full honesty, I would have just cleaned it once a week Mm -hmm. and just taken the money. Like 
if someone is going to pay me an extra $200 to clean the bathroom once a week, the bathroom that I'm going to use anyway, I'm just going to clean it. I'm going to just clean the kitchen because I understand this is getting me to a place financially. And if that just means cleaning the bathroom, so be it. I'm going to clean the bathroom. That just yeah. means like having two sets of pots and pans. So be it because it's not permanent. Right. And we aren't necessarily equals in this situation, right? Because we are, I like what you said. We, this isn't necessarily a roommate situation where the two of us are both renting from someone else. This is a landlord tenant relationship. So I will take on my responsibility. Sure. Yeah. If it means that I get what I want financially. Right. So you said that you thought you had to save up 20% for the next deal. What evolved from there? You got your own property. You got your second property. Where'd you guys go next? Yeah. So I wanted, now I went to buy duplex. I learned what the FHA loan was. I was like three and a half percent down from multifamily, but the multifamilies in my area were like 250, 300 grand, which meant I would have needed, if I didn't get seller concessions between 15 and $20,000 out of pocket. And I spent a year kind of, or not actually maybe a few months starting to save. But then my realtor, who I still work with him to this day, he's awesome. Put me in touch with a lender, a friend of his. He was like, I just want you to talk to him see what he thinks. Because he, he saw the path I was trying to take. And that gentleman exposed me to home equity lines of credit. Mm. He said, that property is going up in value. If you have something in Charlottesville, why don't you get a HELOC on it? And I was like, what's a HELOC? And he said, it's a way to tap into the equity without selling. He's like, I don't know how much you're going to get because we don't do HELOCs, but any bank can do a HELOC for you. See what you get and go from there. I applied and the HELOC came back at 50 grand. And I was mm. like, wait like but again this is not taught right i i was like i just spent on some paperwork and i got 50 grand and i'm please y'all listening i'm not saying that that happens with all these properties but i'm saying it didn't even cross my mind that i could access equity it didn't even cross my mind to ask because somebody would have told me if i could have already and here i am with access to my yearly salary because of some paperwork i did and that was what I wrote the check for, for my next property. Like I was able to just like write a check from that account and buy. <laughs> and then I had this extra money that I could use as the reserves in case something happened. Like I didn't have to keep stacking away because I had access. Now it's credit and you know, you're paying more for it than you spend if you just had cash, but I had access to reserves as well. And it was really from conversations and putting myself in front of people like you guys are trying to put yourself in front of this podcast of, of am I going to learn something different than I knew today? Because that could be the one piece of information that changes the game. And that HELOC is what really helped me explode as an investor. Todd Consultant presents the Vending Machine Business Webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. So the, the next property was a duplex? Yes. And you and how much what was the value on that? Or what it was, was the price? $275. $275. $275. You put the down payment down with the HELOC. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a full rental, or did or you house act that, right? So you lived in one yes. side type deal? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we then moved to that one side and rented out the other. So now we each had a rental in our own names making money. And now we have a duplex where we live in one side and rent out the other. And what were the numbers like on that deal in terms of when the mortgage and the rent? Yeah. So when we moved, well, when we moved in, when we moved in, <laughs> the mortgage was about 1800 It was once I was occupied, uh, they were paying, 
think 1200, but they were way under. The reason it was so low is because he, the, the tenant worked for the old owner. The old mm-hmm. owner was, a, I come to find out, a very big investor in this area. And so he was getting a discounted rent. Mm. Um, we don't live there anymore. And both sides rent for upwards of 1400 now. Wow. So that property, um, if there's no issue, makes between 1000 and 1100 a month. Mm. Yes. What does your portfolio look like today? Yeah. So today I have about 30 active rental units. Um, I am now flipping pretty consistently. And uh, I guess that's about it. So I flip and I have 30 rentals. How do you manage that? Do you have a management team or do you do it in-house? I do it in-house. So a lot of it is me. Um, I wanted to make sure I knew my properties and that I could have genuine conversations with whoever is going to take over about what it takes to run that space. Because I, um, I bought that duplex for 275. I bought my first 10 unit building for 160. So you can imagine there is a big difference culture wise from properties that cheap with also that many people. And I wanted to do it myself first to kind of make sure we could build a culture that I wasn't handing over like a burning pile of garbage to whoever was coming next. That's part of the reason it got sold to me for so cheap is because that's what it was. But I managed myself. Um, But 2022 will be the year that I transition over to a property manager. I haven't fully landed on one yet, but next year will be the year I transition over. With that many units, um, maintenance requests coming in, tenants having issues, things like that. How do you make it so that they're not just firing texts off to you 24-7? Or is that what they do? How do you do do with that piece? Yeah. So they can fire texts off if they want. They're not going to get a response until (laughs) I'm in office. You know, and part of it is like, hey, send them. And you will get a response tomorrow at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. when I get to the office. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, because I knew I was managing myself, I buy very boring properties. There is nothing interesting. They are boxes. They have a stove, a fridge, a heating, cooling. There is very little to break. There is very little interplay between units. Roofs are very simple. We're not, there's no slate. There's no hardwood. And because of that, it makes it very easy to maintain a property that is taken care of. Mm-hmm. So again, with my, I have a complex of 24, 22 units. Um, it's wash, it's fridge, stove, baseboard heater, water heater. That's it. There is nothing else to break. And if you do that, you broke it <laughs> because it wasn't broken beforehand. So that makes it really easy compared to, I see sometimes like even my house, I made a video earlier this year. I have an HVAC unit. I have a water pressure tank. I have a water heater. We have a mini splits. We have all these extra pieces in a house that's complicated, but we love it because it's for us. But I would never trust someone else to take care of all this stuff. Mm. Our fridge itself is a thousand dollars. Like I'm not replacing. I'm. I'm. None of my tenants have a thousand dollar fridge. Let me be <laughs> very clear. I like that because that. you okay. don't give them things to break. Yes, and they like that because their rent doesn't go up. Your mm. house doesn't. We we don't have to make it super fancy in order for it to be a good rental. It needs mm-hmm. to be clean, it needs to be safe, and it needs to be affordable. And if that means just a black stove and a black fridge that's electric, mm-hmm. like for even like I don't buy gas properties. I don't buy properties that have gas. Because again, that's one less thing. I don't necessarily mm. need carbon monoxide detectors, but I'm definitely not worried about someone falling asleep with their lighter on. You said you yeah. want to have old tenants. I have had tenants fall asleep with their, their water on. Now let's think about if they left the gas on and someone goes outside to smoke. That is not yeah. something I need to worry about ever. Yeah. I like one story buildings because I can clean the gutters myself. These are things that it keeps life simple. It keeps things cheap, which makes my management style very easy. Yeah. 
Um, so you're full time or a full time real estate investor now. Mm-hmm. When did you know you're ready to take the leap and leave the job? Yeah, it was when I was making more from investments than I was as a teacher, mm-hmm. and I also couldn't keep up both because mm-hmm. then it became two full time jobs that either I was going to have to truly transition it over to somebody else, or I was going to have to leave the classroom because it's not fair for me to be like. So number one, wait one second, guys. Um, no, the breaker box is in the back. Blah, blah, blah. But that's what was happening because tenants had issues that needed to be resolved. But I was in the middle of giving a test or in the middle of a parent teacher conference. And I realized my real estate, my long term rentals were making more than my job. Then I had a few short term rentals going, which were extra money. And then I was coaching a few people kind of on the side. It wasn't a full business idea yet, just like helping out some friends, but they were throwing me some money and decided, like, okay, I'm going to take that leap. And I know we keep coming back to leaving home or having roommates. I also knew I needed to take the leap before I had kids. Mm -hmm. I knew I needed to try before there was this big life change Mm -hmm. because I felt that I'd be too afraid to experiment if someone else's life was on the line. So when I, and I was a teacher, I was good at what I did. I was a science teacher. I also knew if I had to go back, I could. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I That's had to pick up a job, I could go back to teaching. So with all that in place, all these safety nets, not planning to use them, but I still took that leap. And then kind of social media took off unexpectedly. And that became my income. So even now, like I don't touch the real estate money. The real estate money just... <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. I kept my job the entire time. And then the real estate money now just buys more real estate. So when it gets big enough, we go look for another property. Um, but I live off social media and I was living off my short-term rentals. And so I was able to not use the safety nets. Wow. Um, what are some tips you would give to people who want to get where you are? Because I mean, a few rental properties is cool, but you've scaled it substantially. What would you tell those people? I think step one, and I like to give this as very intro, you need to learn how to budget your own money. A lot of this and a lot of my analysis and why I think my properties do so well is because I'm really good at budgeting. I'm really good at recognizing how much it's going to cost to fix this property, maintain it on a regular basis, how much do I need to pay, reinvesting. But that all started because I became obsessed with my own personal finances. Mm. And this is something anyone can do at any level. But very few of the people who start working with me could answer these five questions. They couldn't. They, when I say, what's your rent mortgage? They got that. How much did you spend on food this month? How much did you spend on shopping this month? Can your phone bill, insurances, streaming, can any of those be cheaper? No idea. And so that lets me know if I give you more money, mm. you don't even know where it's going. Right. And we are now responsible for people's homes. So as much as when my water pressure tank went out, I could just be like, well, I can't take a shower for four days. Whatever. I'll just wait for it to get fixed or I'll wait till my next paycheck. You can't do that with other people. That's not fair. But if you can't budget, you might have spent your profit before an issue arose. And that's arised, arised, arose. Um, So my number one for anyone who's trying to get in is learn to be in charge of your money. And some people I can already hear, I don't make enough. So if you don't feel like you make a lot of money, you should be the first person analyzing every dollar, Mm. truly. So we can see what we need. Some of you don't even know how much you need to make this easier. One client wanted $200 and I was like, bro, just cancel your, your Hulu and you'll be fine. Right, right. <laughs> and I promise, I promise that is so much simpler than dealing with tenants. It's just don't get your eyebrows done this month. That is so much simpler 
than having tenants call your phone. Because I promise you, I have phone calls right now that I have to deal with over the weekend. So if you just want an extra $150, $200, I, it's almost guaranteed it's in your budget if you just budget it and you wouldn't have to worry about other people. Mm-hmm. If you want the thousands, yes. And we will get there at some point. But getting in charge of your own money, your, your household income, how much do you spend on your kids, right? Getting in charge of that, not saying sacrifice, just being in control will help you more than you can imagine when you start to invest. Yeah. So I was kind of laughing a little bit because I was thinking about the next question I was going to ask you, which is how you are so creative with your reels and with your social media content. And I remember that one where you're like, get out of my house immediately. (laughs) 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 Where does that come from? It comes from teaching. So I started teaching when I was about 24. And so going, let me back up a little bit. Growing up in Harlem, all my teachers were all black women. And why that's important is because they had that grandma aura that I was terrified. I was not, and, and, and back in parochial school, they could hit you if they wanted, right? So I wasn't risking being hit. And then you're going to tell my grandma at church, I'm going to get hit again later. Like, this is too much. I'm, I'm afraid, or, you know, healthily. I didn't have that same energy at 24. I couldn't exude that kind of power in the classroom to the kids. So what I had to do to make things interesting or to make the, want them to get to learn was make characters and make things fun. Even in high school, you know, they like to pretend like they don't, they're not into it, but they'll be like, stupid, but like what's on page two, you know? <laughs> um, but that's how I kept the kids interested because they, I didn't, I, I didn't have that intimidating factor that some of the older teachers carry around with them or some of like the male teachers might carry. Mm-hmm. So that's where that came from. Understanding that if you want a kid to learn about the DNA, you can't just rattle off facts you have to make them think that I'm actively destroying it. So how do we learn to fix it <laughs> before I personally destroy it or the government's coming for you? Hmm. But that's where it kind of like transferred into reels. Like you guys are yeah. just adult learners, um, but you guys are detained and you remembered it, right? right you remember right. the content. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the, the funniest, not the funniest thing, but the best part about it is when you think that you have created your best one, you always have more coming back. So I think that's cool. It's like you always have more entertaining, educational, funny content. So shout out to that. Um, I know that people get a ton of value from that. Um, We're going to head into the wrap up questions and uh, ask you these really quick, kind of like fire round style questions. Okay. Um, First one is where do you see your business in the next five years? Ooh, I definitely see flipping becoming a much bigger part of my portfolio. Because now that I have the steady income coming for the long-term rentals, I'd love to pay off debt. Mm. And the biggest way to pay off debt will be the flipping um, because I can pay off a few years of debt every time a flipped house sells. So that'll be a big change. Uh, What does wealth mean to you? Mm. Wealth means options. Wealth means getting to choose what I would like to do or the life I would like to live without having to physically work every day. For those opportunities. Who are who is somebody that you look up to and why? Oh, um, I don't know. I question. It is a tough question. I don't. I'm gonna say my husband, and I know it might be a cop up to some people, but I'm gonna tell you why. He is so unapologetic about what he wants to do every day, regardless of how other people see it, regardless of what people think it's hard. He is just like, I want to study. I want to help these kids learn better. I want to help kids with special needs. And I don't care what anyone feels about that. And I want to walk with that same kind of swag on a regular basis. That would be someone I look up to. Nice. 
Um, what is your favorite business or investing book? Okay. Uh, I, I have two. I'm going to sneak in a second answer. The first is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because it'll either make you very upset <laughs> or very motivated to do something different. Um, and it's very plain as day. There's no technical analysis, but for investing like I do or how uh, Charles does with all his different businesses, very good. The second is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I need to reread that one. Yeah. I So I reread it once a year because it just really helps you realize just because you have a business does not mean it's running well. Just because no one's come to take your stuff does not mean you're not financially stable. <laughs> does that mean you are financially stable? And you can always cut out dead weight. And every time I read it, there's something else in my business that I could be better in. And I really, really enjoy that. <laughs> that I feel like that book now would be so powerful in my life because mm. it drove a lot of the reasons why I did things. And then I achieved those things. And now I'm like, all right, let's tighten it up. Let's That's get right. a little bit better. Yeah. And when you start to, I promise, just even with, even down to certain properties that are costing me more than four hours a week, you become like, well, it's not doing bad, but that doesn't mean it's doing good either. So mm. let's rethink this through today's standards and see what we can fix. It's great. It's a great book. 100%. Um, what's your favorite podcast? These are great questions. Um, right now, it's Here's the Thing by Kev on stage and That Chick Angel. And it is because I had to stop personally. I had to stop listening to podcasts for self-development because my brain wasn't shutting off. I was reading too mm. much. So all I was doing was like reading self-development and getting my car and like learning about self-development. And then it was, it was, cre- <laughs> it was, it was creating a bit of a, like an identity complex for me or crisis. And so I had to like enjoy life too. I think as social media was growing and my client base was growing and my real estate empire was growing, I was starting to miss living a little. And so here's the thing allowed me to engage with like news in a fun way and be entertained without being shamed that I wasn't also learning a new language and solving worldwide issues. Awesome. So I guess that pretty much wraps up all my questions. The last thing I'll leave the guests with is uh, where can they find you, follow you or support what you have going on? Yeah. So I am either Simple Real Estate or DeAndre McDonald, depending on what platform you're on. I'm on Instagram and TikTok as my primaries. The Twitter and the Facebook are just like holding space. But if you like Instagram and TikTok, you should follow me on both because they do not have all the same content because TikTok is a very different world from Instagram. And I am learning that every day. Um, And you can join my mailing list or find my website. But if you want to just send me an email or message, please do. I try to get back to as many as I can per day. And I'd love to connect. Awesome. Well, I know there's a lot of pool on your time. I know people are all in your DMs asking questions. <laughs> so I appreciate you for taking time, hopping on the podcast with us. I know the team and the listeners are going to get a ton of value. Uh, so make sure you guys reach out to her. Um, make sure you follow her. Make sure you support what she has going on. I'll have all the links in the show note for everybody. Uh, make sure you also tap in with those Thai Capital courses and the Thai Capital products because we want to see you guys do well as well. Uh, we're heading into the last month of the year. So I believe that we got to finish strong and hit that push into the 2022. So we're not over here in January talking about what we're going to make happen. We already been making it happen before 2022. So 
I'm going to leave you guys with that. I thank you guys all for being listeners. Make sure you leave us a rating or review. We like five-star reviews. Make sure you subscribe and share with your friends and your family because we're doing a good work. My name is Charles Oglesby, and we're signing off. What's going on, podcast listeners? This is your man, Donald The Voice, the official editor and podcast producer. And listen, I just had to come in and tell you that we appreciate your listenership, and I want to give you a special offer for listening to this podcast. If you have voiceover, podcast, or video editing needs, let's talk. You can go over to DonaldTheVoice.com forward slash contact and I'll be happy to talk with you about what you need and how I can serve you. You want to sound good and look good so that people can feel good and do good as a result of listening or watching your content and I'm here to help you make that happen. So let's talk. Go over to DonaldTheVoice.com forward slash contact and we'll talk. Have a good rest of the day, evening, morning, whatever time it is and I'll talk to you soon.